Is it hot outside still? You can turn off, all, turn up all the lights if you want to. Go back while there. Hey, uh, so here we are. We're in week four of our um, of our, our series that we've t- entitled "This Is Who I Am," and uh, this this series is is our look through the book of John, and uh, is our look through the book of John. And and remember, John's one purpose. Um, can you turn my mic up just a little bit? Um, my, uh, John's one purpose in writing the book of John is so that it's for one purpose, and it's for you to believe and receive the salvation that comes only through Christ alone. It's only through Christ that we can re- can have salvation. And I want to start today by reading this quote because I'm I'm about to we're about to look at one of my favorite stories in um, in John because it shows Jesus' bad side. Does that make sense? It shows. Those him some little, some, with some little righteous anger, all right? Because um, if Jesus is angry, then it's probably okay that he's angry, right? But it's not really like anger in the way that we think of. It's it's more of a like a holy like, um, like he wants so much more for the people than what they're experiencing in the moment, right? There's this guy. His name's Carl Barth, and this is his quote. He talking about Jesus. He wants in his freedom actually not to be without man, but with him and but with him and in the same freedom not against him, but for him. And that and that apart from from or even counter to what man deserves, he meaning Jesus wants in fact to be man's partner, his almighty and a compassionate savior. He determines to love him, to be his God, his Lord, his compassionate preserver, and a savior. Uh, and Savior to eternal life, and, and desires His praise and service. From the very beginning of creation, God's desire was to be and be with and commune with His creation. From the very beginning. From the very beginning of creation, God's desire was to be with and commune with His creation. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But then one day, when sin interrupted that relationship, that, that ceased to happen. But from that very moment, from, from the time that our relationship was severed in that way, God has been find, trying to find a way to commune with His people. All the way, even all the way back to when, when, uh, when the Exodus happened, when, when, when God's people escaped, escaped Egypt. God, told, God told, told Moses, he said this in Exodus 25, 8, he says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. From the beginning of creation all the way through, through the Exodus, God, God's dream and desire was to be with his people. To be with his people. He, he longs to be with his people and to be a sanctuary, a safe place of refuge for his people. He longs for our attention to be on him like a loving bride in, in, her, in her groom. He longs for a deep relationship with you and with me and with everyone in the world. Right? That's why John is like, I want you to believe and to receive this salvation. Because there's a God out there that wants to commune and be with you. And be with you. And we're going to look at this story today where Jesus has just performed the miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding feast, and if you missed it last week, make sure you go back and listen to it. Um, but it's about time for the Passover feast, right? 
about time of this Passover feast and um, Passover festival. So Jesus, um, Jesus, his, Jesus, his disciples, and some of his family take a trip to Capernaum first. And then when it came time for Passover, um, Jesus went and sure with his disciples and some of his family, because that's what Jewish people did every year. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast to make their sacrifices and listen to what happens. He says, in John 2, 13, he says, after, after this, Jesus, his mother and brothers and his disciples went to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. But the time was close for the Jewish Passover to begin. So Jesus walked to Jerusalem. As he went into the temple, temple courtyard, he, not, he noticed it was, it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind the counter. So you have to understand the Passover. The Passover actually comes from when they were, uh, they were in bondage in, in Egypt. When, when Moses, you know, you heard of the seven plagues, right? And, and well, there was one where the death angel was about to fly, fly by, and what they had to do is they would have to sacrifice a lamb and paint its blood on the doorpost. So when the lamb would, when the angel would pass by, they would just pass those houses up, right? And so they celebrated that every year, right? They celebrated God, God's freedom every year, and they would come there and make sacrifices for their sins. So every year, Jew, Jews would travel to Jerusalem to make the Passover and sin offering. And those traveling couldn't, especially if you're traveling far, couldn't bring their own sacrifices. I mean, most animals wouldn't, wouldn't have survived the journey, let, let alone having to keep up with them. That's extra food you'd have to carry, extra water you'd have to carry out to this. So what they would do is when they would, when they would get here for these festivals, they would actually buy animals. There, so it, was, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing to be selling animals. It was actually a necessity. Right? So, that, so that's not the issue. Right? That, that wasn't the, that's not the issue. Right? But also we have to understand the money changers, if you, especially if you lived far away, you would have to exchange currency because you couldn't use, use foreign currency in, in the temple, let alone in Jerusalem. Right? And so, and mainly because if you, if you do some research, you'll see that it was because it would have graven images on it. You can't use grave, have graven images inside of the temple, right? And so they would exchange money. So these things were necessary. So what was the problem, right? We had to figure out what the problem is. Number one, the basic one is, obviously, it, it became a scheme to make money, to make money off of people who didn't have money. They were t being taken advantage of, but... Here's another thing. If you do some research, these people who would collect money and sell animals, they were appointed by the priests of that day. Right? They, the priests would appoint the sellers and the collectors to make sure that they made enough profit off of these things. And it, it, what ended up happening, it turned the sanctuary, the temple, into a business. It became, it, it, became, it became the main thing and a distraction from the one thing that mattered most. And that is the fact that the presence of God was there. All the way back in Exodus, build a sanctuary, build a temple so that my presence may be in their midst. And now they're distracted from the God actually being in their midst in the temple, let alone now Jesus is there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you want to see how Jesus reacts? My favorite. This is awesome. So, Jesus found some rope and he made it into a whip, y'all. <laughs> He's about to whip up from somebody. Then he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard of the temple, and he kicked over their tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere. 
scattering it everywhere. See, last week I said, I said, Jesus turning water into wine would, would, uh, would, would be his pull out of 30 years of, of obscurity, right? 30 years of obscurity, and now he's, and now he's here in the temple. Like, like, last week was a private event, right? Now you're right here in front of about a million, probably about a million people around you because this was where, when all the Jews would come. It's probably more than a million. They'd make their pilgrimage, and here you are. Your first thing is you're going to kick everybody out and turn over tables and make a mess? Like, he was pulled out of 30 years of obscurity, and, with, and it, this, it, this was going to thrust him toward the cross, and now everyone's eyes are on him. His first public display. And here's another thing crazy about these two events, right? You have the wine story from last week, which is a picture of joy that comes from grace, and now you have the picture of, picture of wrath, judgment, and holiness. Wrath, judgment, and holiness. Because here's, here's the thing. You cannot separate love and joy without wrath. Tracking with me? You can't have love, have love without the other one. People often talk about the love of God, right? And that's a good thing. But they forget to talk about the wrath of God. There's, there, you can't, whether you pick one side or the other, right? Because some people are over here on the wrath side, right? You can't have one or the other. There has to be both. Like with a parent, I love my kids, but sometimes I have to have a little wrath on my kids. You with me? Your parent, you know what I'm talking about. You cannot accept the love of Christ without also accepting his righteous wrath. This is why John displays over and over and over again that Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1.14 that we read first week, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. John, over and over again in John, will give, give Jesus this picture of being grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus is going to give you grace when you fall, but then, then he will allow the consequences of, your, of the fall play out. You with me? If you're going to touch the stove, there's going to be some burn medicine that you can put on, but you're still going to get burnt. You with me? The problem, the problem oftentimes is that we pick one or the other. We don't pick, we, instead, of, instead of saying that he is full of love and wrath, grace and truth. And if you do anything other than that, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. All right? But this also tells us that Jesus, that Jesus is all about his and his Father's glory, honor, and righteousness. Not yours, not mine, but his. And anything that distracts from, from that should be out of our lives completely. That's why Isaiah, our friend Isaiah, would say in Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. It's my glory, my honor, my, my glory. It's all of, of mine. And it's it's so he's it's it's so like he's so much about his his glory his honor his, and all those things is, is at the beginning of Isaiah because um, apparently I, the Jewish people have always had this issue when it came to going to the temple and worshiping all right and from the very beginning of Isaiah Isaiah wrote in Isaiah one ten he he would say and I I hope this is never said of us not necessarily I'm not talking about Ship Church I'm talking about us as a people this is what he says. Hear the, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you, you people of Gomorrah. What, 
what to, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of, of burnt offerings of rams and the fat, uh, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or, or of goats. When you, come, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense, incense is an abomination to me. New moon and, sa- and, and, uh, and, and Sabbath and the, and the calling of, of convocation. I cannot endure iniquity and, and solemn assembly. Your new moon, moons and, and your appointed feasts, my soul, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of, of bearing them. When you, spread, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many, many prayers. I will not listen. listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What if God were to come down to us right now and say those words to us? Have we been distracted by things that don't matter? Track it with me. Have we been distracted by things that don't matter? But this also lastly tells us that Jesus will fight for your full attention. No matter the case, what, what, what he has to do to fight for your full attention. He wants your full attention. And going on, John says this, he says, looking to Jesus. Oh, uh, let me read this first. So he, looking, to, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, the thing that matters the most. If he's going to fight for us, if he is the author and the perfecter of our faith, then, then our eyes should be on him and no one else's. All right? John goes on, goes on to say this, and going over to the, peop- over to the people who, who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then, he, then, he, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture, uh, that the passion for, for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. And here's Jesus saying that you've turn, turned this from something that was supposed to point you toward the Father to be, to be in his presence into something pointing toward yourselves. And what Jesus is saying is we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is that the Father is here. The, God's presence is here. And, that, and, the, and your relationship with him is all that really matters. It's not about lights. It's not about music. It's not about preaching styles. It's not about anything else. It's all about Jesus and nothing else. And it becomes, it's a heart issue for most of us, right? So where is your heart? That's the question. I think the failure of the church in this regard, I believe we lost focus on what matters to God the most. So we get arguments about uh, styles of music, styles of preaching, denominations. Well, I'm part of this group. With uh, I'm part of this group, or I'm part of that group. Well, that sounds a lot like the religious leaders of his day that would say, "Well, I'm a disciple of Moses. I'm a disciple of so and so. I'm a disciple of whatever." And Jesus spoke against those things. Because it's not about those things. It's about Him. We are dis- we are disciples of Jesus and not styles. Here's my another one that I love that I that I hear a lot. It's one of my favorites and. And I'm not going to, well, I'll just say it. 
the, the biggest, one of the biggest things going on right now is, well, I'm in the camp that believes in tongues and miracles. Well, I, I think these tongues and miracles have ceased, blah, 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 whatever, right? Um, it's, I have these conversations daily, and I'm just like, if that's an argument that we're still having as a church, no matter which side of the argument you're on, then we need to get out from underneath our rock because our rock because the church has a lot more things to worry about than than that argue about than that. We have a lot of things to fix, and that's because I believe we've lost focus on what matters most, and that is Jesus. So no matter where you stand on that, I will have that conversation with you. I love having those conversations with you, but at the end of the day, you gotta know that that doesn't matter to me. Who cares? If you want to go speak in tongues, awesome. If you want to go lay hands on people, awesome. If you don't feel like that stuff exists anymore, awesome, cool. Let's go reach some people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, quit, let's quit arguing about those things. All right? Let's get the main thing, the main thing again. He goes on to say this. He says, but the, Jew, but the Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus. Okay? And this is like the first time Jesus says, like, first time Jesus is butting head with people in authority. You ready? Well, so, give so-called authority. He says, they said, what authorization do you have or what authority do you have to do, do these short, sort of things? If God gave you, gave you these kind of, this kind of authority, what supernatural sign will you show us to prove it? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do? Like, God, if this is you, show me a sign. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus answered, after you destroyed this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. Then the Jewish leaders sneered, sneered, the temple took 46 years to build, and you mean to tell us that you will raise it up in three days? But they didn't understand that Jesus was speaking of the, temp, of the, speaking of the temple of his body. But the disciples remembered, and I love how John always goes like, yeah, we were, like, we were dumb back then, but now we remember. But the disciples remembered his prophecy after, after Jesus rose from the dead and believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. They know the religious leaders at this time was like, oh, here's another crazy nut, like crazy nut preacher. And what's he talking about? Destroy this temple, build it back up in three days. But here, here's the profound truth is that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the veil that separated the holies of holies from the rest of, rest of the temple was tore from top to bottom, which means no man could have done it. Right? It was tore from top to bottom. Right? Uh, it was torn from the top of the bottom. The, the inner sanctuary, God's presence on earth, was, uh, was, turned, was torn in two so that all, we all have access to the throne. Well, we can say it like this. The death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ moved the presence of God from a place to a person. It moved it from a place to a person. Giving everyone access to God which means that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This is why, I'm going to step over here and make a side note, this is why I have a hard time believing in Catholicism. Right? That we have to, have, we have to get to God through access of a priest. Right? Or pray to these saints, or pray to these whatever. We don't have to do all that. The whole point of Jesus coming, dying on the cross, and raising from the dead was to be His presence living in us. And now the ground is level. You don't have to go to anyone else. You can go directly to the source. You can go directly to the thing that matters the most. So we don't have to go to a place anymore. It's good for us to go to a place. It's healthy for us to go to a place. 
we have direct access to it, to our God and to our Savior. The ground is level. No matter how you walked in here, no matter how you're listening to this later, what part of life's journey you're on, you have access to the throne because of what Jesus done on the cross. This means that Jesus has become our temple, sanctuary, and refuge to run to. And no one else. You can't find it in your kids. You can't find it in your wife. You can't find it anywhere else except for in Jesus on the cross. That's why Isaiah 25, 4, he would say, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in, in, his, in his distress, a shelter from the storm and shade from the heat. For, for, for the breath of, his, of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. Like heat in, a, in dry places, you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of the cloud. So the song of the ruthless is, is put down. He is our stronghold. He is our tower. He is, he is everything that we need. He is our temple, our sanctuary. And now that sanctuary is living in us. It's living in us. And John goes on to say, while Jesus was at, a pat, was at the Passover feast, the number of his followers began to grow, and many gave their allegiance to him because of all the all the miraculous signs that he that he that had seen him seen him doing. But Jesus did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature, for he fully understood what man was capable of doing. One translation said, "One translation, he, he he fully knew the desires of, of the heart of man." And it's this idea that these these people they started following Jesus for what for what he could do for them, for the meals that he could he could provide. And later, we'll actually read what Jesus calls them out on: that you're only following me for what I can do for you, instead of what of who I am. But I wonder how many of us have come in here. We we seek God like we seek God because of what He could possibly do for us, instead of seeking Him for who He really is. And maybe the reason that that God is holding back a little bit in your life is because you're seeking Him for the wrong reason. You're following Him for the wrong reason instead of just who He, who he is, and that is your Savior, your refuge, your stronghold. Right? John wants you to believe in Jesus. To believe in him but for who he is. He is the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh that came and put on flesh to die for us. Like he literally wanted to be with his creation so much that he came to be a part of the, of his creation to save it. It's the king who left the throne. He came down here with us. And my prayer is that we follow him for who he is, a sacrificing Savior who lays out, lays himself out for us. Like he wants so badly to be with you. He wants so badly to be a part of every aspect of your life. Are you going to let him in? Because now you, as a believer in Christ, now you are this temple in the world. And if you're not connected to the true temple, Jesus, you'll never be a beacon of hope to this world. Never.
Are you fully, fully following Jesus for the right reasons? And if not, then maybe we need to re-examine our hearts a little bit. You with me? Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be here this morning. I pray for all of our hearts, God, that they are pure, they are clean, that, that, that they are following.